Welcome to the PMPA Speaking of Precision podcast featuring your host, David Wynn and Miles Free. Hi, I'm Miles Free, and welcome to PMPA Speaking of Precision podcast. David Wynn has joined me today, and we're welcoming Nicole Donnelly, founder and CEO, HubSpot partner, Tales of Misadventure podcast host. And we met uh, Nicole on a LinkedIn post, and the result, listeners, is welcome, Nicole. Welcome, David. Oh, my goodness. Thanks so much for having me, Miles. Thanks. Thanks, David. I am so excited to be here. This just, I just have to say, I love LinkedIn. I've made so many wonderful relationships from LinkedIn as a platform, and it's been a pleasure to, to get to know you, Miles, through LinkedIn and to be on your show today and and get to talk talk to you. So thanks for having me. It's an honor. Well, I go to LinkedIn to refill my bucket. Yeah. I, I want to refill my bucket. There are thought leaders. There are people that have stuff to share. And, you know, really, you know, the PMPA's kind of tagline is better together. So sharing information is what we're all about. And you had a post about pricing a new product or service. And like all the alarms went off. I'm like, <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't respond fast enough. So why don't you tell our, our listeners what brought you to that topic to share that day? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I have been, let's see, my career, 20 years now, 20 years strong, I have been involved in pricing services in some way. So I own a marketing agency now. I worked in the service services industry my entire career where we provide services for, for clients. And so I've had direct hand in coming up with pricing for just different packaged services for digital marketing, for, you know, direct to consumer marketing products where we're, you know, trying to scope out and see exactly what, you know, our services are worth to a customer package it up. And traditionally, we have always done cost plus model, right? You figure out, okay, well, if I need to write a blog post, it's going to take my content writer X number of hours. So this is the cost that I pay for my writer to do this. And then, you know, this is the cost for me to admin, put it up on the, you know, all the work that goes into actually putting together this piece of content, the research and everything. And then I'm just going to add my markup. Okay, I got to make a profit. So this is my cost. And I'm just going to go ahead and add this markup. Done that for years. And um, it works. But I, uh, I thought there has to be a better way to price this. You know, there has to be a better way that's more in line with um, focusing on value. Like what is value to the customer rather than, you know, what I think the value is to the customer. And so I've, I've tried to like, as a marketer, as much as possible, put myself in the shoes of my customer and give them the respect to be part of that pricing process. So I took this wonderful um, MBA course several years ago with the uh, professor Mark Ritson. He's, you know, very well known. And there's this pricing methodology that is all about really trying to understand what the value is to the customer, what the customer would pay. 
So I've been able to live this myself with my own business. My business partner and I were exploring a new revenue stream. We have this new service that we're trying to package up. And I said, you know what? We need to figure out how to price this product. And I don't want to do cost plus. You know, I don't want to do this big guessing game because we probably are leaving money on the table, to be quite frank. Welcome to the big league. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're like, I, I felt like we're leaving money on the table. Let's, let's, let's do this. Yep. And so, um, so anyways, what we did is we just, we, we decided we were going to ask our customers what, what this, what this potential service would be worth to them. So we had an idea of what we wanted to offer. We'd already gotten feedback from our customers on, you know, the problem that they had and how we wanted to solve it. And so we just scheduled interviews with our top five customers and had a conversation with them just, you know, as part of our regular client call, really. You know, we have our standing standard call with them. And at the end of the call, it's, you know, I have some questions for you. We're exploring this new service. Love to get your feedback. Laid it out for them and said, here's what we're thinking about. This is what you would get. You would get X, Y, Z. And these are the things we deliver to you and just really spell it out to them. And then stopped and asked them, what would you pay for that service? Didn't give them a price. Didn't just totally open-ended question. So you're really a, a, a misadventurous person because <laughs> the standard wisdom on LinkedIn has been to anchor that price, right? Yeah. To go out, give them a number mm -hmm. and then anchor and you've created their expectations. And you just blew off that yeah. given LinkedIn wisdom, you know, that that's gutsy. Yeah. You know, because I didn't know, like, when we started this, what would they, you know, what were they going to respond with, you know? Um and so, yeah, so, but you know what was so interesting? Every single person we talked to, they had a price. No, you know, they're like, oh, I'd probably pay, I, this is what I'd pay for that service. And usually we didn't have to nudge them too much. They would have a price and they'd share it. And I think that says a lot too, like they're good customers of ours. So they felt safe. We had a relationship with them, you know, so they felt like they safe enough they could share. It was a completely new service. So, and they had, they knew exactly you know? And so then the follow-up question was, okay, that's the price you'd pay. Well, what price, then that follow-up question I always asked them was, what price would be so low that you would question the quality of the service, right? Because you want to, you need to anchor, you need to have some sort of a benchmark so that you're not charging too low, right? Because you got to, you know, at the end of the day. That's a genius follow-up. Did you spend time in artillery? <laughs> <laughs> you know, bracketing, you know, shoot over the hill, now bring it back. Oh, man. Too but low you... a shot in artillery is pretty bad because it lands right in front. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. You know, I did shoot a, I, I will tell you, you know, I've only shot, I, I went shooting one time in my life. I was 20 years old, okay? And my now husband, who I was dating at the time, he... He took me out shooting in the middle of the desert. Okay. I went to college out West and there was a desert and we, I went with his buddies and we went out and he's like, yeah, and it, it, it was a shotgun. Okay. It was, it was just like, a, <laughs> you know, and no joke. It, my, my target was this massive orange and it must've been like maybe not 20 feet from me. Okay. Not far at all. And I have this big shotgun I'm trying to shoot. I couldn't even shoot the orange. It was so bad, Miles. Oh, my goodness. So I keep telling my husband, I'm like, honey, I I've been telling him, I need you to take me to the driving range. You know, I, I need to really learn how to shoot shoot a weapon. So I am the last person you want 
<laughs> to have with a with an actual weapon in my hand, I would be terrible. So well, you understand how to call in fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, that was the follow-up question we asked was what would be the price that would be so low that you would doubt the quality? And you know what's funny? They all know the answer to that question too. Oh, I would never pay this price because then I would really, you know, I would think that this is just an inferior service, you know? And I think right. so much of the time as we always think we've got to get the lowest price because people aren't going to spend more, especially, you know, if it's a, if it's more of a commodity industry, right. It's like, and with Amazon, everybody's like, you know, low price leader. Right. But you don't want to race to the bottom. You do not right? want to race. problem in the market. You don't want to race to you the bottom. You do not want to race to the bottom. Absolutely. And there is there, you know, there is, there is a too low of a price where people really are, you know, they're not going to, they don't want to pay for something that's going to be inferior. So they all, they all know that. And so then the next question is, okay, well that's, you know, you wouldn't pay this price, but what price would be so high that you just absolutely wouldn't pay for it at all. Right. So you're trying to like get as much data as you can from the customer on what the sweet spot is for them what's too low and what's just, there's just no way they're going to pay for this service. And they, I'm telling you, they knew the answer to that too. They're like, yep, I wouldn't pay more than this price for it. And so then you take all those data points from all the customers, the qualitative, you know, and you know, from, from us, we just, we literally talked to five, you know, or more customers. If you have a large customer set, you can go out and actually do some quant data and send a survey and do it. But you know, it's always good to have the conversations first. And then you take those data points and you just kind of like find the average from all of them of what the average price was. And I'm telling you, it all trend, like they all said almost the same exact price. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. I was like, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> they all within a couple of hundred dollars. Okay. And then you just, and, and same on the high end too. They all had a similar idea on the high end. And so then you have to think, okay, the sweet spot really is right between that average price and the high end price, because you have to build in as a, as a, you know, you have to build in some room to plan for the long term, right? You're, right. you know, you need to make sure you're planning for the, your business, how you want to grow it, how you want to reinvest in your company while still delivering tremendous value. And you know, what was surprising about the whole thing is that the customers told us what they would pay. And I'm telling you, it was more than I thought if it would have been up to me. If I would have done my cost plus mumbo jumbo, it would have been lower than what they told me that they considered valuable. And that to me was like a massive lesson. I was like, I was what's like, cool I'm cool about that. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. What's cool about that is that you were going after that value. So you've got stakeholders and you've probably got more valuable data from five good customers that were stakeholders in your business than you would have if you surveyed a hundred. Yeah. And so yeah. by charging more and giving them the value, you're more likely to continue to provide that value long-term where if you price too low, you're going to try to get out of that service later, or you're going to cut back on that service because you're not getting paid enough to do it. Oh, you're absolutely right. You're so right about that. Oh, yeah. that's brilliant. So what I think is interesting about this entire exercise is that uh, that you've actually demonstrated that customer intimacy is more powerful than large data sets. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm like, I follow some really sharp people on LinkedIn who 
who make the data sing, sit up pretty and sing, right? <laughs> and, and, and I actually taught a class on data analytics for business intelligence. But, but I have to tell you, it's just a tool. It's not an answer. Mm-hmm. And the real answer is that human connection, that customer intimacy. And, and as David said, they're not just a customer, they're a stakeholder. So yeah. they've, got, they've got an investment in this transaction and relation too. So, I mean, I just think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. When you escaped the mistake of confusing cost with worth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What you said, you said worth, right? Worth, mm-hmm. worth isn't worth, worth is independent from cost. Yes. So okay. true. That's, 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 I call that Marx's error. You can put all the labor you want into a mud pie. It's still a flipping mud pie. <laughs> such a right. Good right. So worth true. value. And, 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 the issue that I have with the other data people is they worship their accounting facts, their accounting mm-hmm. data, and that that accounting data is it's about costs, not value. Exactly. That's right. That's you the know? problem. That's where they miss the point. You know, that, that's that Mark Twain. There's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics. Yeah. And you can make the data be anything that you want it to be. Oh, you can make the data be anything that's so true. How many times have we tried to tell a story and we're like, we've got to make it fit this story in order right. for it to work? They massage yes. the data. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so, what you've created, like Miles nailed it, but you've got the bracketing price index. Yes. So you hit, and what you're finding is the value that it brings to the customer. So you're not looking at your cost plus, you're looking, okay, it brings X amount of dollars in value to the customer. Now, what's my cut of that? It's like you're being a salesman for the customer. You're taking a percentage of the value you create for them. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's so true. And I think, you know, your customer, it just shows so much respect for your customer to bring them into this process because you're building it for them. It's for them. And so it is, it's bespoke. It's bespoke. And so you want to make sure that like they're, you know, the customers I had these conversations with, they were so honored that I asked them these questions. Like I could tell that you could see it on their face that they're like, wow, she's involving me in this building of this new service. And she values my opinion on this. Like there is a respect there that just cultivates and strengthens that relationship. And now you're co-owning the building of something really cool that's going to benefit them. Like that's magical, you know, and it's just a completely different experience than if you just put a price in front of them that they have no, I don't know. I I just think show respect for your customer and just if you stay really, really close to your customer to your point miles and just have that customer intimacy where, you know, you're really building those really close relationships and asking them these, these, you know, pricing is a very taboo topic, right? You know, nobody likes to talk about price. You've been on those sales calls where you sit there and they do the big, you know, song and dance and they don't tell you the price until the very end. And it's like, really? Like, come on, just the the big reveal. Jeez. I'm just like, just 
tell me at the, like now I, I, anyway, you know what I mean? It's just such a taboo topic, but to like, I do. To- well, the yeah. big reveal, the big trap we we've lured you in, Nicole, <laughs> is is so what you said is exactly right for services. Yeah. And Peter Drucker would he would stand up and wave the flag and 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 play the trumpet because you're exactly right for services. But in the manufacturing world, mm-hmm. in the world that David and I serve are part of, have been a part of, uh, jobs are sent out for bid. Yeah, there are other competitors. There are other other people bidding on it, and cost plus. We don't call it necessarily cost plus. It's called an engineering cost study or an engineering review. Um, that's a little different in that uh, it doesn't seem to be as much a bespoke process as as your 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 new services. So what what counsel would you give our producing companies who find themselves placing similar quotes before a buyer? Yes, I would give them the same advice. I would say. Talk to your best customers, the ones that are buying from you all the time. The ones that actually take delivery as scheduled and pay the bills. The ones that your top customers that are just like a joy to work with. It's not headache money. You know, there's great margin on the products. It's, it's a, you know, your manuf, you know, what you're manufacturing for them is something that's right in your strike zone of what you do really, really well. And those, you want more of those customers, right? Like I, I would bet that a lot of these manufacturers who are, who are putting out these bids probably have never worked for these companies before, right? It's a new bid. Talk to your existing customers that you love working with. And I still believe that if you go to them and you, and you ask them, you know, hey, you know, understand what their pain is, what their problems are. And what it is that they're looking for. Maybe they maybe they have a new problem that they need new machining parts for that you don't know about. The more that you're having those conversations with them and understanding exactly what their pain points are, the more you can start to create new products for them and be in front of your competitors so that you're pricing out creating new products and services that your competitors aren't even tuned into. And now you have a chance because you have the relationship with them because it's a good fit for you to really be delivering on that value rather than fighting for that against all these competitors against the commodity price. So that's what I would just lean into that whole, you know, intimacy, customer intimacy that you mentioned, Miles, and just how can I get to my best customers and help innovate for them so that I have more control and get not not control, but I can more know, autonomy. More autonomy, exactly. Yeah. More autonomy. You're getting out of this like race to the bottom situation. You know, David. Be- this sounds a lot like your old territory, yeah. doesn't <laughs> you know, it? We had this discussion yesterday when we were discussing your LinkedIn post, and you know, for me, when I was in the shop, I sold time on my machines, and mm. so the more time that I had on my machines when my machines were full, they're worth more money because I've got a lot of demand for that time. And so I have to charge more. And so it's not a cost plus thing. I'm selling that time. And so I've only got X number of hours in a week. And if that time's full, I've got to charge more money for my services. And I think that's something that a lot of people miss in the shop is we sell value in our shops. It's not a commodity. 
you can be the premium value supplier by doing things that your other companies aren't doing, making sure that stuff's there. It's always 100% good. It's on time. It's properly labeled. It's washed and clean and packed so they can use it, you know, and meet with your customers. If they're going to pull out 25 parts at a line, you know, maybe package it so that each box is, this is the next, um, point on the line or each layer in the box is the next point on the line. If you communicate with those customers and maximize that stakeholder value, like we talked about before, you can become that premium value supplier and get paid more for your parts. So what I like about what you just said, David, is that the, the value isn't just in these, in these tangible deliverables, right? These tangible deliverables are the answer to a problem, but they're not the whole value. And that, that understanding their manufacturing pain point, dilemma. I need 25, not 27. I don't have a means to handle two extra parts floating around. Somebody's going to throw them at somebody else, and now i got a workman's <laughs> comp issue, right? So so it, it, it comes down again to that, that customer intimacy, understanding the customer, really understanding. And this is where I think a lot of our manufacturing companies in the PMPA, a lot of our members actually have multiple channels into a company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The purchasing department sends over the RFP, but you know what? Their, their shipper has talked to their receiver. You know, their engineer has talked with not just their engineer, but also with their production engineer and their operations, the shop guy. So you can add more value the part still weighs 75 grams. It's still 75 grams of, of holes connected by metal, but it now is shipped, delivered, and handled in such a way that it it is frictionless. Mm. Yeah. And so while we think we're manufacturing tangibles, it's really the service that adds the highest value and makes that human connection. Because if there's too much damn oil and that oil's black and gritty, and now my guys take an extra five minutes to wash before lunch, you're not my preferred supplier anymore. Thank thank you for the cheap price. Oh, my response is I completely agree with everything that you just said. I just had the honor of visiting a wonderful family-owned um, custom machine shop or, you know, custom precision machining shop out in Chicago, Pedock powder, power pedestals, beautiful. We got to tour their manufacturing facility and they make these amazing outdoor, um, pedestals that you use. Like if you're in a park and you need power, these are like permanent power pedestals. And we got to walk through the plant and we got to see the care that they put into the manufacturing of this product. And there's actually a lot of automation built in with this, you know, state-of-the-art equipment they use for the laser cutting and all that. But then at the end, there's still the manual work that gets done and the care that they take in polishing and buffing out the welds and all of that was just so cool to see. And so I think to your point, it is absolutely, um, you, you know, the care that you take in the manufacturing process and in how you ship, how you ship your product your reliability, you know, the materials that you use, all of that is is what makes the difference. So I totally echo everything that you just said. There's so much more value to the way that you create your product and how you deliver it um, that's more than just the parts themselves. 
you know, Miles, you were talking about tangible deliveries. That's the entry ticket. That's the feed. Yeah. That's the price to play. You have to have those things. All the other stuff, that's the value we bring the customer. Yeah. Uh, I think you're I think you're right on that. I I I agree. So what did we miss, Nicole? <laughs> What did, what did we fail to ask? What did we fail to elucidate in our quick conversation here as LinkedIn pen pals? Oh, no, I think this has been so much fun. What a great, great conversation. I think, you know, I think we, we covered a lot. I think at the end of the day, as much as you can really, truly be as close to your customer as possible is really the, the, the crux, I think. I just had a conversation with a client um, just a little while ago, just today. And he was asking me, you know, should we, should we be doing what our competitors are doing? That was the, that was the words out of his mouth. <laughs> you know, our competitors are, they're doing these, this, this specific podcast and they're doing this. Should we be doing that? And I said to him, I said, you know what, who cares what your competitors are doing? Who cares? Who, what matters is what your customers are doing. You know, talk it's to what they customers. want. It's what they want. What do yeah. they want? Exactly. It was like, what do your customers want? The cl if you can get closer to your customer than your competitor, you are going to be the leader and they'll always be following you. But if you're spending all your time trying to figure out what your customer, your competitors are doing and trying to match their pricing and try to match their marketing and everything, you are always going to be following. Do you want to be a follower or do you want to be a leader? You know, like stay close to your customer. That is like number one. I think at the crux of all of this is just as much as you can build those relationships of trust so that when you are trying to price out a new uh, product or service, or you're looking at revisiting your pricing because of inflation and all of that, don't go, don't just default to cost plus, ask your customer, talk to them. Ask your customer. <laughs> Sounds like you have an MBA to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Well, that wraps up our discussion today on pricing. And Nicole Donnelly, thank you so much for coming on our Speaking of Precision podcast. David, thank you for the color commentary and making sure we didn't, <laughs> didn't go too far astray. And uh, next time you're in Ohio or Tennessee, we'll be sure and get you out to a range and we'll teach you about fracking. <laughs> I would welcome that. That'd be such a pleasure. Yep. I'd love to improve my aim. <laughs> Good deal. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. For additional information, please visit pmpa.org where you can find our knowledge centers filled with articles, webinars, more podcasts, and other resources for precision machining. Yes. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss one. Plus, check out our Speaking of Suppliers podcast, where we talk to PMPA technical members and learn about how they can help our shops. If you aren't already taking advantage of PMPA membership, be sure to check out pmpa.org to learn how we can help you thrive and why is a PMPA membership important. Carly and David, because, because we, we are better together. together. Don't forget to join us next Monday on Speaking of Precision.